0: with Freedom Fellowship Church and Sons of God Ministries International, and you are listening to the prophetic voice of our time. You know, something that is very integral to the mission of Sons of God Ministries International is that we aspire to train leaders that will operate in power and operate under the anointing of God. And the thing is, is that these leaders... It doesn't matter how old you are, how young you are, whether you're a man or a woman or from any different nation, so long as you're willing to obey God and follow him, you can be used mightily by God. And this is something that is so core and central to the mission of Sons of God Ministries International. It's part of the reason why we're called Sons of God Ministries International. And when you hear that name, you might think, well, you know, shouldn't it be Sons and Daughters of God? Isn't that kind of exclusionary? But the truth is, is that the scripture tells us in Romans 8.14, and I'm reading this in the New King James Version, it says, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. You see, this is something that is, that is central to this idea of sonship, which is that if you're being led by the Spirit of God, you are now operating as a son of God, which means that you come with all the same sort of authority that a son of God comes with. This is why the scripture also tells us that Jesus is the firstborn among many brethren, right? He's the firstborn son, and then now we are also sons of God through Christ. This is such an important concept that we have to understand because. When you are being led by the Holy Spirit, God calls you out and gives you a mission. This is where you're going to go. Go from where you are to where I send you and obey me, right? When you do that, you aren't operating as a, a wife, a husband, a father, a mother, right? You're operating as a son of God, whether you're a man or you're a woman. You are now operating as a son of God, and you operate with that same level of authority that Jesus operated with. And that is such a cool thing. Now, before I continue, something that I want to announce is that at the end of the year, this December 31st, which is on a Sunday, we're going to be holding the Prophetic Gathering of the Saints at Freedom Fellowship Church. And this is a really exciting event that we hold every year, New Year's Eve, where we get to usher in the new year, praising God. And many prophetic words are released concerning that year and the year to come over the body of Christ, over the nations, and over those who are attending individually. And so it really is such a special occasion and such a special event just to be able to start the new year giving honor and glory to God and hearing what he has to say to the church. So I really want to encourage you the prophetic gathering of the saints. It's this December 31st at Freedom Fellowship Church here in San Antonio, Texas. And if you want to attend, I encourage you go to our website, SOGMI.org events and hit that registration button. It's $30 to attend, and it is formal attire because we're dressing up for Jesus. But we want to get the word out now because seating's limited. So make sure to register if you're in the San Antonio area or if you're willing to drive down. And I trust me, you don't want to miss it. It really is a supernatural and exciting thing. So, um, but let's continue on with the message. So as I was saying, Those in the body of Christ that are being led by the Spirit of God, they are sons of God, right? So if you're a woman, you're no longer operating as a woman or a wife or a mother, you're operating as a son of God. This is why, for example, in the book of Judges, Deborah was able to be judge over Israel, even though she was married and even though she was a woman, because God called her and said, you're a prophet who's going to go before me and going to deliver my word, right? And so because she was listening to the Spirit of God, she was not operating as a woman. She was operating as a son of God. It says in Judges chapter 4, verse 1, Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Now that Ehud was dead. So the Lord sold them into the hands of Jabin, king of Canaan, who reigned in Hazor. Sisera, the commander of his army, was based in Hegoyim because he had 900 chariots filled with iron, and he cruelly oppressed the Israelites for 20 years, and they cried out to the Lord for help. Now Deborah, a prophet, the wife of Lapidoth, was leading Israel at the time. So here's Deborah. She's married, but she's the one who's leading Israel, and she's the prophet and judge over Israel. See, this is something that is a direct contradiction to a doctrine that is often taught, right? Which is that women can't have authority over a man. Women can't be in a position of authority. Women can't be preachers. But how is it the case that God appointed this prophet over Israel to lead them? Did God not know that Deborah was a woman? Did God not know that Deborah was married? Of course not. Of course he knew who she was. But in everything that we do, remember, we are submitted to God's authority first. God can appoint anyone and anything, right? We know that the, the man Balaam, he was scolded by his own donkey because God granted the donkey the ability to speak. If God can use a donkey, God can surely use a woman, okay? So here Deborah is, the wife of Lapidoff, and she was leading Israel at the time. She held the court under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim. And the Israelites went up to her to have their disputes decided. She sent for Barak, son of Abinoam, from Kadesh in Naphtali, and said to him, The Lord, the God of Israel, commands you, Go, take with you ten thousand men of Naphtali and Zebulun, and lead them up to Mount Tabor. I will lead Sisera, the commander of Jabin's army, and his chariots, and his troops, to the Kishon River, and give him into your hands. Can you believe this? So Deborah sends word to this man and says, Hey, you, you need to take all of these men and lead them against the army. It's your job. God has called you and commanded you to do this, right? This is the kind of authority that Deborah commands over the people of Israel, that she could send word to Barak and saying, Hey, the Lord has commanded you to go over to this place and and do battle, right? So this idea that women can have any authority over any man, is not biblical at all. Okay? And in the past I've taught about the book of Timothy in context, and you'll know that a lot of times when people are preaching it, they aren't doing it with the understanding of the context in which Paul was addressing Timothy. And we don't have time to go into all of that now. Perhaps I'll address it in the future, but when Paul was addressing Timothy in Ephesus concerning the women there in Ephesus, he was addressing certain cultural issues that were happening there at that time. But we'll explain some of that, okay? And not only that, if you read the scripture, Paul says, right, I forbid women to teach. Who's the I in that sentence? It was Paul. It wasn't God who said, I forbid women to teach. It was Paul. And if you study it, you will know it was because the cult of Artemis existed there in Ephesus that was causing all kinds of trouble in the church because the cult of Artemis believed that women were superior to men. And so Paul addresses the Ephesian church and he says, hey, over there, I'm asserting my authority as an apostle. Women are not going to teach there. I forbid them to teach or have authority over a man because you guys are causing all these problems. That's why to the Ephesian church, he says that. But then to the Galatian church, he writes, hey, you know, There's neither male nor female, Jew nor Greek, slave nor free. We're all one in Christ Jesus, right? How could Paul say that to the Galatian church that it doesn't matter if you're male or female or Jew or Greek? But then to the Ephesian church, he says, hey, women can't have authority over a man. Well, now you know he was addressing a specific issue with the Ephesian church. And this is also made plainly evident in the story of Deborah, which is... She was leading Israel at the time. So clearly she had authority over a man. And not only that, she sends word to Barak and says, Hey, Barak, the Lord has commanded you. You need to go over to this place and begin battle. And Barak listened to her. Can you believe that? Because remember, when you've been called by the Lord and he has given you an instruction, that is your highest obligation and duty. You are obligated, morally obligated, and called to follow and obey the Lord beyond any expectations of man, beyond any traditions of man, or any cultural expectations, right? You have to obey God and follow God before any other kind of expectations take precedence over it. This includes in the marriage, okay? So in the scriptures, what happens is that Barak responds, he's like, okay, I'll go, but I don't want to go, I'm kind of scared, so I'll go. If you come with me, Deborah, right? Because maybe Barack is thinking, he's like, you know, I don't know if I'm going to trust God, but hey, if I take his prophet with me, then I've got, you know, some leverage in the situation and maybe God will follow through, right? You know, Barack was afraid, so he's looking out for himself. And we know how the story goes. Deborah says, okay, I will go with you. But because of that, the final honor will not go into your hands. It will go into the hands of a woman. And then what happens, right, the commander of the enemy armies, he escapes and he goes into this woman's tent who takes him in. Oh, yeah, let me give you some water. Let me give you some yogurt and some milk, puts him to sleep. And then while he is, you know, peacefully resting, she takes a tent peg and drives it right through his skull. Dang, right, that's pretty, that's pretty hardcore. But notice in this story, not once does Deborah consult her husband. Right, when Barak says, hey, I want you to go with me, she says, okay, I'll go with you. When she's judging and settling disputes among the Israelites, she doesn't go and ask her husband, hey honey, you know, what do you think about this? What do you think about that? No, she consults God. Because when she's operating as a prophet, she is not operating as the wife of Lapidoff. She's operating as a son of God. And you know, maybe Lapidoff, maybe he had some misgivings. Oh, you know, you shouldn't travel over to the battlefield. It's dangerous, right? And you know, you're going to be going with all these men. What if there's something wrong, right? Deborah had to consult God first and foremost, and obey God first and foremost. And in marriage, this is what submission is supposed to look like, because, and this is the really cool part, guys, so all of us, men and women, we are sons of God when we are led by the Spirit of God. But on the other hand, we're also the bride of Christ, which means That's where the love relationship with God comes. That's where romancing Jesus comes from, right? So operating in the power and the authority of God comes from sonship. And then the love relationship comes from being the bride of Christ. So both men and women are sons of God, and both men and women are the bride of Christ. And you see, this is what true submission is supposed to look like. Because so many times, pastors preach to the women, submission, 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 to your husband, but they never preached to the husband, hey, submission, submission, submission to your husband. Because when Paul talks about in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21, he starts like this, Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. This is how this whole passage starts, which is that the whole marriage is subject to the authority of Christ Jesus. Right? So if the husband has stepped out of the will of God, he is no longer in alignment with God's will. If the wife has stepped out of the will of God, she is also not in alignment, right? The whole contract and the whole agreement is messed up. First and foremost, both the man and the woman have to be submitted to God because God, right, is the groom and the church is the bride. Then it says in verse 22, "Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands, your own husbands, not all men and not all husbands." As you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, for which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so wives should submit to their husbands in everything. And in the same way, the husbands have to submit to Christ. Verse 25, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Now this is very important because so often the first part is quoted and then they just don't neglect the second part. And the reason why I say this is because, let's say, for example, in an extreme case, a husband is abusing his wife. Is the husband loving his wife as Christ loved the church in that case? No! Absolutely not! Which means the wife is not subject to this agreement! Both parties have to follow the pattern that God laid out for them. But it goes further than that, right? Because that's an extreme case. Let's say, for example, the wife feels very passionately about something, right? She has been praying to God, and the Lord has revealed to her, you need to do this and go in this direction, right? And so the God calls out the wife and says, I've called you as a prophet or I've called you as a minister to go forth and do this thing. If the husband starts laying roadblocks, right, or maybe belittling her, Right, making things difficult for her to obey God. He is not loving her as Christ loved the church. And not only that, he is not submitted to her out of reverence for Christ. Because remember, the authority of God is above the marriage. If God has called the husband or the wife to do something, it is their highest moral calling to obey the Lord above all else. And for the husband or the wife it is their highest moral calling to support them and enable them and make it easier for them to obey the Lord. Because as the scripture goes on, both the man and the woman, they are now one flesh. And Paul writes and he says the husband should love the wife just as he loves his own body. And if the husband, let's say the husband or the wife, let's say maybe they make snide remarks, maybe they belittle them, maybe they just, throw in passive-aggressive comments kind of to stab at their self-confidence, right? Or make things more difficult for them, right? If they're doing all of these things, they are not loving them as Christ loved the church. They are not loving them as their own body. And surely they are also not submitting to them out of reverence for Christ. You see all of these places where the church has gotten the order of things completely wrong where so often it's been taught, oh, you have to submit to your husband in anything, no matter what, right? If they're not obeying God, you don't have to submit to them. If they are not loving you as Christ loved the church, you don't have to submit to them. And if you're not submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ, you're doing the whole thing wrong. And I, I have two very clear examples of this. The first one comes in 1 Samuel chapter 25. And this is the story of Abigail. Because what happened was that David at the time was protecting the land of a wealthy man. And what he did is he stationed his men around all of his workers so that no, you know, because often raiders would come and they would pillage crops and steal things and all this stuff. So David was in the area and he says, hey, we'll, we'll help them out. We'll protect their stuff. We'll guard them. And there won't be any issues. Now, it was customary at the time is that if somebody does you a favor like this, where they're protecting your crops, they're making it easier for your workers, it was expected by the culture at the time that you would provide them some food as a goodwill gesture to thank them for the work that they've done. So David sends word. He says, hey, Nabal, um, you know, we've been working hard. We've been de- protecting your workers. We've been defending them. We've built a wall around them. Can you send some bread to my mend? So, that, you know, as a thanks for what we've been doing. But Nabal turns around and he begins insulting David. He says, who is this David? Who is this son of Jesse? You know, many servants are breaking away from their masters these days. Why should I take my bread and my water and meat that I've slaughtered from my shears and give it to men who come from who knows where? So they go back to David and they report what was said. And David gets really angry. And he tells his men, strap up your swords. We're going down to Nabal and there's going to be a battle. Now what happens is that one of the servants tells Nabal's wife, Abigail. And it says, and they said to her, David sent messengers from the wilderness to give our master his greetings, but he hurled insults at them. Yet these men were good to us. They did not mistreat us. And the whole time we were out in the fields near them, nothing was missing. Night and day they were a wall around us the whole time we were herding our sheep near them. Now think it over and see what you can do, because disaster is hanging over a master and his whole household. He is such a wicked man that no one can talk to him. This means the other servants tried to talk Nabal out of it, but he couldn't be reasoned with. So Abigail acted quickly. She took 200 loaves of bread, two skins of wine, five dressed sheep, five seas of roast grain, a hundred cakes of raisins, and two hundred cakes of press fids, and loaded them on donkeys. Then she told her servants, go on ahead, I'll follow you. But she did not tell her husband, Nabal. Look at this, Abigail is a rebellious wife. Can you believe that? So she goes out and she rides out to meet David. And at the time, David's saying, may God deal with me ever so severely if by tomorrow there's a single man left alive in Nabal's house. They were gonna kill every male in the household. So Abigail comes up to David. She sees him and she bows before him. And then she says, pardon your servant, my lord, let me speak to you. Hear what your servant has to say. Please pay no attention, my lord, to that wicked man Nabal. He is just like his name. His name means fool, and folly goes before him. As for me, your servant, I did not see the men my lord sent. She's talking about her husband. He's a wicked man. He's a fool. Oh my gosh, all he does is cause problems. She's talking about her husband. And now, my Lord, as surely as your Lord lives and as you live, since the Lord has kept you from bloodshed and from avenging yourself with your own hands, may your enemies and all who are intent on harming my Lord be like Nabal. And let this gift which your servant has brought, my Lord, be given to the men who follow you. Please forgive your servant's presumption. The Lord your God will certainly make a lasting dynasty for you because you fight the Lord's battles and no wrongdoing will be found in you as long as you live. Look at this. She's operating in the prophetic gift. She is prophesying to David that there's going to be an everlasting dynasty that God's going to found through you. Even though someone is pursuing you to take your life, the life of my Lord will be bound securely in the bundle of the living by the Lord your God, but the lives of your enemies he will hurl away as from the pocket of a sling. Now we don't know how well-known it was that Saul was trying to kill David. But here she is, God gave her a word of knowledge. It doesn't matter that Saul's pursuing you, that he's trying to kill you, because it's just gonna be a short moment. God is going to bring you victory. And then she says, When the Lord has fulfilled for my Lord every good thing he promised concerning him and has appointed him king over Israel, my Lord will not have on his conscience the staggering burden of needless bloodshed or having avenged himself, when the Lord your God has brought my lord success, remember your servant. So look here. Abigail defied her husband to save the lives of every male in Nabal's household, but also to prevent David from having needless bloodshed on his hands, right? So that he wouldn't have that on his conscience. So she was acting out of the best interest for Nabal's household and for David. But in doing that, she defied her husband. Remember, Honoring God, obeying God, comes before your spouse. It comes before everything in your life. And this is how David responds. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, who sent you today to meet me. Now this is something amazing. Because here this woman was a non-submissive woman, defied her husband, called him a fool and a wicked man. And God said, praise the Lord who sent you to me. David said, Abigail. Was from God. And he thanked her from needlessly spilling blood. And later on, as the story goes, Nabal dies of a heart attack. And David takes Abigail as his wife. This is an example of a quote unquote rebellious woman who God saw as righteous. Remember, in every area of her life, God has to be at the highest position. Before your spouse, before your business, before your family, God has to be at the highest position. And this is the last example I'll leave you with because there was an opposite kind of story that goes along with, which is in Acts chapter 5. Everyone knows the story. It's the story of Ananias and Sapphira. What happens is Ananias buys a field and with his wife's full knowledge, is what the scripture says, he keeps back part of the money for himself and decides that he's going to lie to the church about how much he sold it for. And so Ananias goes in And he says, this is how much I sold this land for. Here, I'm giving all of it. Look, look at how righteous I am. Look at how holy I am. And Peter says, why did you conspire to lie to the Holy Spirit? And Ananias dropped dead. Three hours later, his wife comes in. And remember, she knew that her husband was sinning against the Lord. She knew that his plan was wrong and wicked. Okay. And then Paul asks her and says, is this the amount that you and your husband got this land for? And she said, yes, that is the amount. And she too died. You see, if the submission doctrine was universal, right? You have to submit to your husband no matter what, then God would be in the wrong for killing her there, right? Because, hey, she submitted to her husband. Her husband came up with this plan. They sold it. She followed his lead, right? But first and foremost, Sapphira had a duty to follow and obey God before her husband. You see how the church has gotten the order of things so wrong. God has to be the Lord over all and in all, in every area of our life. This includes in the marriage, right? So isn't that kind of freeing, right? The submission doctrine is not the way that the church has taught it all of these years. Remember, if you're being led by the Spirit of God, you're not a man. You're not operating as a woman. You're operating as a son of God. And for the men, remember, you're the bride of Christ. So you got to be submitted to your husband. That makes things a lot easier when everyone's submitted to God and obeying him. Because then we're in the spirit of unity. Amen. So I'm out of time for this week. And remember, don't forget to register for the Prophetic Gathering of the Saints coming soon, December 31st. Make sure to go to our website, SOGMI.org, and get registered today. I want to thank you so much for tuning in. My name is Joshua Sasso, and you've been listening to the Prophetic Voice of Our Time. Sogmi.org. That is S-O-G-M-I.org. That's where you can listen to previous episodes of this podcast and even support this broadcast. We're supported by listeners just like you. So if you want to support this ministry, you can go to SOGMI.org and hit the donate button. You can also send a check to P.O. Box 1579, Helotus, Texas 78023. Again, that is P.O. Box 1579 The Lotus Texas 780